This is An American Workplace, a podcast dedicated to rewatching and discussing NBC's beloved mockumentary series, The Office. My name is Chad Hopkins, and joining me as always is my good friend and co-host, Katie White. Katie, welcome to season nine. We are doing the thing. <laughs> we are, uh, as, as we said last time, the beginning of the end, I actually went back this morning for whatever reason and listened to our pilot episode. Oh, yeah. <laughs> A little bit of nostalgia. Yeah. And yeah, I can't believe we are getting ready to wrap this up. I mean, we still have several weeks ahead, but right. it's uh, the last inning. Yeah, I, I'm excited. I, I go back and listen to old episodes sometimes, just depending on like, what did I say about this episode? Or what did I say about this episode? <laughs> I never listen to our episodes because I hate hearing myself recorded. Uh, so it's a good thing I do podcasts. Right. And um, <laughs> yeah, I, this is like the one of the very few that I've gone back and listened to just because I can't listen to him. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm glad I do listen most of the time. So editing, you end up listening through things like several sure. times over, but then once everything is posted and everybody has it in their podcast feed, I usually listen again, just to make sure I didn't miss anything. Yeah. But it's yeah. just me slightly paranoid and I have caught things sometimes like sometimes I oh I left out the theme song whoops or oops I meant to edit that out or oh what happened here better go in and fix that and re-upload it real quick so right right anyways all that stuff aside uh, let's go ahead and go through some introductions uh, before we get to the main episode Uh, we have some emails from William and Ray thank you uh, you two for emailing us we also got two new reviews today on Facebook thank you Bethany and Melanie for the recommendations People reached out to us on Twitter, which, as we said before, is a great place to find us. We are both quite active on Twitter. From Cole Knighton, pardon the definite mispronunciation, Leslie, Angel, Joel, Tromboner Man, and Spooky Knight. So thanks all for for reaching out there. We also got a podcast review from The Hoff. And thank you to everyone who's been uh, reviewing on Apple Podcasts, because since we first started this podcast, we've been trying really hard to appear really high in the search results when you search for The Office, because that would be a great way to find us. And we finally did it. Chad sent me a picture the other day. We are now in the top, what? Three. Three? Yeah. Uh, When you search The Office on Apple Podcasts, you find us on that first page. So that's really exciting and uh, hopefully means some more listeners coming up. Yeah, it's it's an awesome way for people to find us because the way it is right now, if you search just the office in the Apple Podcast app, the first result is a podcast that was going back when the show officially was still going, uh, and they never finished the run of the show. And then there's another one that's called, I think, just the office podcast or something like that. Uh, I think they might still be going, but they're not as far as we are, I don't think. So it's just really cool that if people want like an active office podcast covering the scope of the show, we're pretty much the top result so far. And that that took a long time to get there. A lot of a long for a long time. If you would search the office, you'd have to like scroll a little bit before you got to us because it would just come up with all these other unrelated to the TV show office podcasts. And so I, I was really psyched to finally find that this past week which means people had to try to find us and they did so if you're listening now thanks for uh going through the hard work um (laughs) of finding us and now hopefully it'll be it'll be a lot easier 
And with that, let's go ahead and get into the first episode of season nine, the final season of the U.S. office. This is titled New Guys. It aired on September 20th of 2012. It was both directed and written by Greg Daniels. And I just wanted to highlight for a second, Greg Daniels is a guy who kicked this show off back in season one. He wrote the pilot. He was a showrunner for the first four seasons. And I think he's still done a few episodes here and there. Like, I think he he definitely wrote Goodbye, Michael. But he has not been as hands-on with the show until this season. And in season nine, he officially stepped back in as showrunner. So you're going to see a lot of things that are going to sort of harken back to what we saw in those first four seasons, which I think is a really great thing. So in this episode, new guys, The Office welcomes two new faces, Clark and Pete, who The Office has dubbed the new Dwight and the new Jim. This creates strong feelings in both Dwight and Jim. And Andy harbors ill feelings towards Nellie and spends the day dealing with those. So to start off on this episode, we do get a different kind of cold open. It's not the the traditional style where it's something funny that happens. It's unrelated to the rest of the episode. Here, we basically get a catch up. Uh, a, A summer has basically gone by and we get a whole lot of details on things that have been going on since we last saw them. Andy is coming back. Aaron's really excited. Though I should say, Aaron's really excited. And then as soon as Andy comes back, we don't hear from her like at all. But yeah, whatever. Andy was sent on a month long wilderness adventure by David Wallace, who, as you might remember, I hope, (laughs) has now purchased Dunder Mifflin and is the CEO. And uh, it was a wilderness adventure with a bunch of teenagers, including David Wallace's own son. But uh, the purpose was to make Andy more decisive and confident. And he is back from that now. Uh, Just a couple more before I let. Katie take a couple of them. Dwight is not the father of Angela's son, according to the test results. So that's a bummer for Dwight. You can tell he's upset by that news. Next, we hear from Toby, who tells us that Kelly is gone. Her fiance, that's big news, Ravi, has been hired as a professor of pediatrics at Miami University. So she has left and, and followed Ravi there. And then we learn that Ryan, in apparently unrelated news, has also moved to Ohio, where Miami University is, where where Kelly has gone, for no reason not to follow Kelly, definitely, except he's (laughs) definitely gone to follow Kelly. And for the very first time in the entire series, here at the first episode of season nine, we hear the voices of the documentary crew speak for the first time. So we hear Pam and Jim doing a little talking head. And they finish up the talking head and they start to remove their microphones. And Pam asks if the crew has everything. She says, I mean, it's just a paper company. How much footage do you need? And the camera tells her and Jim that they're more following the people now to see how they'll turn out. And maybe this can transition us into the rest of of the character development here. Pam says, well, I don't think anything's going to change in our lives now. With work and two kids, there's just nothing interesting going to happen to us for a long, long time. And we see this look wash over Jim's face that I can't really describe except for panic. <laughs> it's just like, oh, uh, that can't be true, can it? And, uh, and that's sort of the, the vibe we get from him for the entire episode is, is just, I need to do something with my life. Let's go ahead and talk about Jim and Pam and their part in this episode first, uh, just spinning off from that. So at that point, when they're having the conversation with the camera crew, they've already revealed to us that Jim's friend from college is starting a sports marketing business that is based on an idea that Jim had back when they were in college together. And he asked Jim if he wanted to be a partner. 
but it would be in Philadelphia, which is not close by Scranton. Uh, I don't think it's terribly far, but it's not close by either. Uh, and it would just be difficult because it would mean uprooting and moving the family or Jim commuting a really long way for work. So they decided together, we're not going to pursue this. He says, okay, cool. But if this business grows, then I will buy you guys a new car, at least, to thank you for the idea. So that's that's what we find out at first. But then that look at the end of uh, that scene you were talking about with the camera crew, when Pam says nothing's going to be happening to us for a really long time, that lingering look that Jim has means maybe he knows something that Pam doesn't know or is considering something or is, as you said, hoping for something. And as the episode goes on, one of the new characters, Pete, who you mentioned in your summary, is talking with Angela about adopting a cat. And Jim overhears Pete sharing lots of ambitions he has with his life, starting his own business, being a millionaire, traveling, making the world a better place, earning an MBA, but he hasn't taken any concrete steps. And Jim relates to him for that reason. And, you know, we, we know that Jim never planned to stay at Dunder Mifflin this long. We, we knew back in the series premiere episode one the pilot that he didn't want to <laughs> he, he was not excited by this he didn't want to be at dunder mifflin scranton all this time but yes he's he's still here and yes he's got a family that he loves but we get a little bit of a sense that maybe he feels like he's missing out on bigger things yeah after he hears pete say these things he has a talking head and he says oh come on pete that's just sad if if he doesn't watch himself, he's going to be here for years doing nothing. And then again, another moment. And he says, ah, maybe Pete is the new Jim. Pete is the one that they were calling new Jim. And it's sort of a self-deprecating, you know, you've, you've wasted your life. Uh, you're going to, I've just wasted all of these years. I mean, we've seen eight full years in a job that he never liked. He was really only there for the receptionist. And it's just, he's not in a good spot. But he has a big, big moment at the end of this episode. At the end of the day, as Jim and Pammer are getting ready to walk out and leave, Jim says, oh, hold on, I need to make a call. And uh, you, you go down to the car. Jim hangs back and makes this phone call, and he seems really nervous. He dials and then hangs up immediately. And he gets his jacket and his bag, and he, and he leaves, and he comes back. And then he actually makes the call and he says to the person on the line, he says, did you go to the other guy yet? Great. Don't. I'm in. And on his way out, he celebrates. He's done a thing. And it sounds an awful lot like this sports marketing thing that his that his friend is, is starting. So maybe he's making some steps for himself. It doesn't seem like Pam knows about them yet. Yeah, in fact, to, to drill that home earlier in the episode, Dwight asks Pam to, to do something risky that we'll talk about. And Pam says, I love my boring life exactly the way it is. And nothing that you could say would get me to run the slightest risk of losing it. But Jim doesn't seem to have the same trepidation. Right. Again, we don't know what the risk is yet. Uh, we'll talk about that probably next episode of the show. Probably in the next discussion but he seems to be taking some kind of risk so talking about andy who is back in the regional manager chair uh he's back from his trip in a good mood 
He's being super dramatic about his experience. He talks about how three days on a mountain will change you. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure three days make a huge difference in your life. Now, granted, there are some big events that will change your life in three days or less, but I, I don't think this necessarily qualifies. I, I think Andy's just being Andy and a performer about the situation. And I guess he forgot that he didn't fire Nelly, or maybe he expected her to quit in his absence for the month or something, but he's definitely not happy to see her. And he starts to plan ways to get rid of her. He tries to go through Toby first, and he basically tells Toby that he's going to make up something as a fireable offense to get rid of Nellie. But then Toby says, well, now you've told me. And so if she sues, I'm going to have to testify against you in court. And so <laughs> he instead tells Nellie to her face that our working relationship is going to be really super difficult. If it's not, I'm going to work hard to make sure it is. And you're just going to have to deal with it. Yeah, it's interesting that at the end of season eight, he showed this grand gesture of mercy and I will let you still work here. And it seemed very civil. Mm -hmm. And at the top of season nine, he hates her. <laughs> I don't know what happened on that mountain, but he's not excited to have her back. And I mean, he, he tells her that he had a funny dream while he was away that she died. And yeah, as you said, he's going to ensure that, that their working relationship is terrible. When Andy later has the office try slacklining, because that's what he spent his wilderness retreat thing doing, he volunteers Nellie himself, and she, in heels, starts to slackline. I mean, she's wobbly, but she's doing the thing. And she manages to stay on for a few seconds before Andy shoves her off and tells her that she sucks. It's just... He's, he's bullying her. And Dwight goes up on the slackline and fails miserably, making himself bleed horribly. But Andy won't call the slacklining off. Toby has to do it and says, okay, this, is, this has gone too far. And he puts garbage cans and recycling bins all around Nellie's desk. So people are chucking garbage at her. I mean, it's just too much. It's way too much. And you see that it is affecting her a little bit. It, she has a talking head at the very end where she says, oh, the, the, all the trash flying at me isn't because of me. It's because I just happen to be sitting ne near where the bins are. And I get a sense that she's maybe trying to convince herself that really that is 100% the reason. But then we saw when Andy pushed her off the slack line, how defeated she looked. And we know from a couple of episodes ago that things aren't necessarily going great in her personal life. The, the two things that haven't been resolved at this point are the fact that she wanted to adopt a child and that fell through. She's knee deep in credit card debt or deeper, frankly. And I mean, I guess the other thing that, I, that at one point could have been considered resolved, but maybe isn't so much anymore now that Andy's back is that her work relationship, her, her work situation was not making her happy. She was complaining about it to her mom. Uh, but then she made a friend with Jim and Dwight and she made friends with Pam a little bit and things were getting better. But now Andy just is throwing that away. And so uh, it, it's affecting Nellie, too. And I, I wonder a little bit, do you think that Andy deserves a little bit of any of what he's doing? Like, I'm trying to phrase this the correct way. Obviously, it's not right to bully. And he does take things too far and he is too cruel. But is any of it, even like a smidgen of it, justified because of the situation that they went through earlier in the year? I think because he chose to essentially hire her, you know, she was 
I don't know if it's considered hiring or just keeping on, but whatever he did, he chose to employ Nelly. He created a position. He did. There wasn't a special projects manager at Dunder Mifflin Scranton before this. Yeah, so he essentially hired her for that role. And I'm going to have to say no. <laughs> None of this is really justified. <laughs> he doesn't need to be friendly to her. They do not need to be friends. They do not need to get along more than civilly. But anything more detrimental to their relationship than just not being friends, I don't think is called for. Right. I mean, even Michael got along with Toby to a certain extent. Even as much as he hated him, he never, there, there was once or twice he tried to fly, get him fired. But right. for the most part, he didn't like openly seek out antagonizing Toby. He just got upset when Toby stood in his way. And yeah, <laughs> and Andy's not doing that here. He's actively pursuing making Nellie's life miserable. And so, no, I don't think it's justified. And I think what you said is correct. As soon as he he said, "Welcome to Dunder Mifflin Scranton," it was over. Like he didn't have any right to do anything further. He has a right to be upset with her and to maybe not yep. like her very much. But all of this extra stuff is way too much. Yep. Now, we've mentioned them in passing. There are two new characters to the show to basically replace Kelly and Ryan. They are sitting in the annex of Toby, and he's super psyched to be back there. One of the single guys getting into trouble. <laughs> and their names are Pete and Clark. And Pete has sort of been dubbed the new Jim, and Clark has been dubbed the new Dwight. And basically, the only resemblance is Clark is a little shorter, stockier, and wears glasses like Dwight. And Pete is a little bit taller, slimmer, handsome like Jim. That pretty much is where the resemblance goes away. But at first, Dwight and Jim are both against this new labeling. Jim thankfully gets a little bit of a reprieve when Andy shows up and dubs Pete Plop instead because they were all about nicknames on this wilderness exploration adventure. And apparently Pete uses the bathroom all the time. And so he has been named Plop by Andy, much to his chagrin. And Dwight as mentioned earlier, is not the father that he was hoping to be at this point. And so when it's made the comparison that it's almost like a father-son kind of look-alike, kind of kinship, uh, Dwight warms up to the idea. Because, you know, if I, if I can't actually have a son, then maybe he can be my, my a pseudo-son. And then maybe one day they'll hire somebody who looks like him and he'll be my grandson. So he's sort of given up on a family at this point, which is really sad in choosing Clark as his sort of adopted work son. And when he clings to this idea of Clark as his son, he really clings to it and goes way too far and invites Clark to a concert that's 10 months from now. And when he declines, Dwight says, oh yeah, we're, we're both just learning as we go, aren't we? <laughs> How to do this father-son thing, which again, they look vaguely similar. They're not father and son. And Clark, in a pretty bold move, asks to take over some of Dwight's clients. He says, hey, if you're swamped, I would love to take over some of your leads just to help out, you know. <laughs> but of course, Dwight does not see it that way. Uh, he is hugely offended by this. So father-son relationship is, uh, is strained already. And when they're outside slacklining, Clark walks the slackline like a pro. He's great. He just zooms on down and Dwight boos him and tells him that he can do better. And Dwight hops on, and like I said earlier, can't even get two feet on it. He shakes, and when he does get up, he falls immediately, and again, and again, and again, and again, and again. 
and he makes his mouth bleed horribly. And Dwight is so disheartened by this that he creates this bigger, badder version of slacklining involving a, uh, a power line or maybe a phone line. Uh, that would make more sense. And a bike. And he's going to ride the bike across the line. And uh, it is, of course, very dangerous. Incredibly dangerous. And that's the, the stunt I was referencing earlier. He, he originally wanted Pam to sort of sit in a swing below this bicycle to provide a counterbalance for him uh, sitting atop. And she's like, heck no. <laughs> like, obviously, this is a really bad idea. And so he substitutes Pam with a copy machine, a smaller copier. And he sets out to do this stunt. and. It goes really poorly. He, he, he sort of makes it about halfway on this line that he has set up for himself. And then it flips over. The, the counterbalance wasn't enough. And so he flips upside down and is left hanging there for dear life until the firemen can get there with their truck and the ladder to take him down. So I feel badly for Dwight because, yeah, this is a little bit of extreme. It's a little silly, but it's a mix of feeling like he failed with Angela and having a son and passing up a chance to get a family and also that he's maybe getting too old to, to be a father uh, at this job that the younger kids are going to take it and look cooler doing it. So it's just like, it's almost like midlife crisis hitting Dwight kind of like I kind of that kind of sense where he's just like, man, things are really rough right now. I got to do something crazy to get things back on track. And it just doesn't go the way he wants it to. Maybe the last character I wanted to talk about before we get into some funnier moments. Angela is giving up her cat for adoption. You mentioned Pete was <laughs> maybe trying not to adopt this cat. <laughs> and Oscar, after much pestering on Angela's part, finally, finally, finally agrees to take this cat. But only after hearing that it is Angela's husband, the senator's favorite cat. We quickly learn that the business meeting that Robert was attending that evening that would prevent him from saying goodbye to the cat is not a business meeting at all. It is dinner with Oscar at Oscar's house, uh, where he will get to see his favorite cat again because he will be having dinner with Oscar. So um, that's officially official. And I mean, it had been in the past, but uh, this is our first date, <laughs> I guess. Uh, for the two of them, and Angela has no idea. Yeah, so it was confirmed at the end of Free Family Portrait Studio that yes, 100%, suspicions confirmed, he is gay. But then what this confirms is that Oscar finally called, and they've been pursuing this in some capacity for the summer, we assume. And, I mean, it, it kind of... <laughs> there were points in... What was it? The fundraiser when Oscar's like, I'm obviously not rooting for Angela's husband to be gay. I'm not a monster. But I mean, he's kind of a monster now because here he is cheating with his coworker's husband who she doesn't even know is gay. Like it, it's all kinds of messed up. And Oscar's maybe not that great a person. <laughs> yeah. Making some poor decisions. Going on to funny moments. There's not an excess of them in this episode, but Meredith tells Pete quote, the new Jim, to sit on her face because she's obviously attracted to him. And he says, no, thanks. And uh, my name is Pete. <laughs> and Jim has a talking head. He says, no, Pete is not the new Jim. The only thing we have in common is that neither of us wants to sit on Meredith's face. 
And if that makes him the new Jim, then every human being in the world is the new Jim. <laughs> also a, a good Jim one. When Jim is messing with Dwight, uh, this is when Dwight tells him that Clark is trying to take his job. Dwight says, the new guy's called a sales meeting? Because of course Jim made that up. And Jim says, yeah, Clark ended the whole thing with a karate demonstration. Did you know that there was a belt above black? Dwight says, there is no belt above black. Is there a belt above black? <laughs> he says, you should ask him. It is a color you would never expect. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. When Dwight asks Pam to be his counterbalance, he says, please, please, Pam. She says, find someone else. I don't know. Ask Phyllis. Dwight says, I can't use Phyllis. Are you kidding me? The moment she steps off the bar, I'll be launched into space. God, you're so insensitive. <laughs> Who's insensitive here? <laughs> and this was after Dwight had basically said, had said, we're basically the same weight, right? Pam is showing off. She's apparently been working hard to lose those mom pounds. Uh, we're the same weight if you're 105 pounds. <laughs> Since we mentioned Oscar's uh, new boyfriend, I guess, Angela is, again, begging Oscar to take the cat. And Oscar says, no, no, I'm a dog person. And there's such a great parallel here. Angela says, if you pray enough, you can change yourself into a cat person. And Oscar says, those guys always change back, Angela. <laughs> oh, two on the nose. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. Real quick, I wanted to ask earlier, but I forgot. Why is Angela so keen on Oscar, of all people, adopting Comstock? Do you think it's because of their good working relationship? Or because maybe Robert suggested it as a good alternative to living with them? Or I don't know. I always thought it was just because they got along professionally and she thinks that he's maybe one of the only sane people in the office. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, that was that was always my impression. Okay. Yeah, I, I just thought it was a good question. Yeah. Like, why, yeah. why, why Oscar? There's a moment when, when Andy is first arriving, Aaron comes in. Like I said, she's really excited. She's said many times at this point in the episode, it's only like three minutes into the episode that Andy's coming and Andy's coming back. And when he finally arrives, she says, old Dwight, new Dwight, new Jim, tuna. <laughs> Instead of old Jim or new Jim and old Jim, it's new Jim and tuna. It's not new tuna. It's new Jim and then tuna. <laughs> it's just a funny play on words. Now there's one here that you're probably going to want to say, but I'm going to say it. It's mine. Kevin, when Angela has announced that she wants to put her cat up for adoption, Kevin apparently really likes Angela's cats. He says, Angela's cats are cute. So cute that you just want to eat them. But you can't eat cats. You can't eat cats, Kevin. You can't eat cats, <laughs> Kevin. <laughs> Which I, I want to say real quick, one of the reviews we got on Facebook today complimented my Kevin impression. It did. And it was great. Your Kevin and your Stanley. Yeah. How about that? And your Toby's pretty good, too. Th thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do have another Kevin moment that I can steal. Oh, yes. Uh, and it's a long one. It is. So this is from the cold open. <laughs> uh, I'm just going to read it because it's hilarious. Oh, what a summer. An emotional roller coaster. I ran over a turtle in the parking lot, but then I saved him by gluing his shell back together. But I'm not that good at puzzles, so I patched him with stuff from around the office but I couldn't get the pieces to fit right. Then one day, when I was reaching for the glue, I crushed his shell again, but I rebuilt him even better that time. But it turned out the turtle was already dead. Pro probably when I ran over him the first time. 
Yeah. <laughs> and so the first time he patches him, uh, obviously it's just bits of shell that aren't sealing together anything. And then he finds stuff from the office and there's like pieces of a yogurt lid. There's a spoon, a shamrock keychain, a bottle cap. And it's funny that uh, the end of the previous season ended with us thinking maybe Kevin had a dead dog that he was <laughs> taking care of, even though it was dead. And then this season starts with Kevin actually, actually killing a turtle. And, and taking care of it by building it a new home. And you see this like tur- sad, lifeless turtle head. Yeah. Just, oh. oh. And uh, when, when Kevin offers to adopt Comstock uh, before he, or maybe it's after he said, you can't eat cats. Uh, Angela says, please, after the turtle. And he responds, I am enormously proud of what I did for that turtle. <laughs> he yells it. <laughs> Uh, a great, great Creed moment in this episode. We get a couple, or one, one big one. Mm-hmm. At the end of the episode, uh, Creed apparently very much enjoyed his day. We get a, a voiceover for him. He says, in the parking lot today, there was a circus. The copier did tricks on the high wire. Of course, that was Dwight. <laughs> a lady tried to give away a baby that looked like a cat, Angela. There was a Dwight impersonator and a Jim impersonator, Clark and, and Pete. A strong man crushed a turtle. I laughed and I cried. Not bad for a day in the life of a dog food company. Uh, I I was going to say I would love to be in his head, but no, I think that would be a scary place to be. Yeah. (laughs) Creed thoughts. (laughs) When talking with Andy about Nellie being there, Toby says, you can only fire Nellie for cause. And he says, mm, then I will make up a cause. That's when Toby says, you just told me that you're going to make it up. Now she sues. I have to testify against you. And he says, then just forget I told you that. Toby says, I can't. I took a course at the Weintraub Memory Academy. I sat next to this woman named Beverly Brooke. She had a Greek salad for lunch. See what I mean? And then Andy says, now I know why Michael hated you so much. <laughs> there's, there's another Michael reference. My last Creed one is small, but funny. Nellie goes up to Slackline. Uh, Again, because Andy called her up and she doesn't want to take off her her shoes, her heels, because she says she's self-conscious about her feet. And the camera pans over to Creed and he's just nodding like, yep, (laughs) you should be. (laughs) (laughs) And which means he has seen them, which is also peculiar. At the start of the episode in the cold open, Kelly is handing out all of her heavy coats because she thinks that Miami University, where her now fiance Ravi was just hired as a pediatrics professor, uh, is in Florida. But it's not. It's in Ohio, and so she's still going to need those coats. She's going to have to buy a lot more now that she's given them all out. Yeah. Yeah, that was my last one. Uh, She's just so happy. (laughs) Take these, not going to need them, going to Miami. (laughs) Everyone's just... Yeah, what what exactly does she say? She says something, biatches. Um, Yeah. I'm going to Miami, biatches. (laughs) (laughs) Enjoy the snow losers. In Ohio. And then uh, my last one, Ryan, he said he's done a lot of research and Southwestern Ohio is the next Silicon Valley. They're calling it the Silicon Prairie. Yeah, I'm sure they are, Ryan. And I thought it was worth pointing out that he's carrying his clothes in a garbage bag and he says, this isn't garbage. These are my clothes. But for me, it was a nice reference back to season one basketball when he was carrying around his uh uh, sports clothes in a trash bag because he didn't have a, like a, a sports bag or anything. Yeah. Or the original opening title sequence that was in for a long time. So I missed that one. Yeah. 
A bunch of deleted scenes for this episode. Dwight asks Jim for advice on what to talk about with the young people, uh, Clark and, and Pete. Jim says that he read an article in Time Magazine about dubstep, <laughs> but he doesn't get to talk about it because Clark walks up to Dwight and Dwight tries it out. He says, hey, yo, man, what's up? Did you catch that dubstep article in Time last week? Off the charts. But Clark takes this opportunity to make fun of him. Of course, he says, Time Magazine, what'd you pick that up at the newsstand in your Ford Taurus? <laughs> yeah, I'll read that as soon as I finish the Farmer's Almanac. But uh, he joked the wrong joke to the wrong person because Dwight <laughs> does not catch that sarcasm. He says, you read the Almanac? Crazy, give us moon next month, yo. <laughs> Keeps throwing in these yos. And uh, when Clark leaves, Dwight turns back to Jim and says, I have no idea what happened just there. <laughs> <laughs> An extended version of Andy talking with Nellie in his office. He says, in a moment of clarity that he had on the mountain, he was thinking about last spring, what Nellie did to him, and he thought of a perfect nickname for her. The Great Emasculator. And she replies, or better yet, Lady Second Chance. <laughs> and then Andy goes into the speech that we see in the episode, and there's two small, slight differences. Uh, after he says, I don't like to throw around the B word, he adds, I find it offensive. She says, then let's not. Because obviously she thinks and we think he's about to call her the B word. But then he, he does say the line, I'm going to be a huge to you. <laughs> and then they both stare at the camera for a moment. And Nellie's looking nervous and Andy's looking pleased with himself. Like, yeah, come at me. I said it. Pam and Jim are shopping on Roy's wedding registry. And Jim suggests that they buy Roy a ladle that he had registered for. And Pam says, oh, maybe we owe him a little bit more than that. And Jim goes, great, throw in a slotted spoon. <laughs> he does not want to buy him anything expensive. Yeah, and Pam has a talking head uh, where she says that Roy is getting married, unless his fiance pulls what they probably call the Pam or that B-word Pam. <laughs> you and, get all the... <laughs> yeah. Between this episode and the next episode, the deleted scenes included, they use the B-word a lot. A lot. Yeah, a several lot. times. Dwight asks Jim why Clark would lie to him and tell him that he studied karate when he just admits that he hadn't studied karate. Jim says he's not sure because it seemed like Dwight and Clark had a really good father-son thing going on and like, like Luth and Darth Vader. And Dwight's offended. He says, no, idiot, Luke and Darth Vader are enemies. Jim argues that Darth Vader tried to attach a hand onto Luke's arm. <laughs> Dwight says, what Star Wars are you watching? And when Dwight explains that Luke is trying to destroy Darth Vader, he realizes himself the situation that he is in. <laughs> that uh, Clark might not be a nice guy. Yeah. Uh, there's some weird antagonism uh, from Stanley and Phyllis towards Clark and Pete. We saw a little bit of it in the main episode. But then in the deleted scene, Stanley yells at Pete after he looks at his phone, after getting a notification. He says, yo, Muppet baby, got an urgent text from your social network? And Pete tries to explain, my, my brother Mike, and Stanley interrupts and says, I bet you majored in self-esteem, huh? Newsflash, you are not special. And Pete has a talking head. He says, my generation was taught self-esteem for like five minutes in kindergarten, and we're still paying for it. <laughs> <laughs> Toby is holding an HR meeting. This is a long stream. This of is long. Scenes. Yeah. So I'll just do half and you can do the half okay. thing. But Toby is holding a, an HR meeting in the conference room regarding Andy's behavior towards Nellie. And he asks who here has felt bullied by Andy today. And Toby said, I'll start it off. I felt a little bit bullied when Andy said that he knew why Michael hated me. He says he's feeling a little bit bullied now by everyone who's laughing at him saying that. 
and uh, Nellie stands up. She says, I'm sorry. Can I just say, if this is about me, if this is about Andy bullying me, this is not necessary. I'm fine. Everyone, back to work. And she catches herself. She says, oh, well, that's not my job anymore. That's yours, Andy, and you're very good at it. <laughs> back to you, if that's what you want. And um, Toby points out, uh, sounds like you feel a little bit bullied, <laughs> uh, the way that you're reacting. And Andy says at that point that he feels bullied by all the oversensitive people who feel bullied by everything. Gosh, he sounds like Trump. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. <laughs> Nellie asks him to check the transcript. She says, I never said I felt bullied. I never said that. Mm. And Aaron asks Pam, panicked, am I supposed to keep transcripts? No one ever told me. No, you're fine. No transcripts. <laughs> Just a turn of phrase. And then accusations start going around. Kevin says, Angela bullies him. For example, she won't give me her cat just because I killed my turtle a few times. <laughs> uh, Creed speaks up and says, people kill Angela. It's no reason to judge them. Okay, Creed. And then this turns into the bullying Creed hour. Meredith speaks up and says, you know, I feel bullied by Creed always looking at my sweet rack. He says, I'm not looking at your rack. I'm looking at some crumbs of some delicious carrot cake on your chest. She says, my freckles? And Daryl says, Creed looks at me that way, too. Creed says, bully me all you want. I can handle it. I have very thick skin. Daryl says, thick wrinkled skin, sort of under his breath. Then Angela says to Creed, sometimes I look at you and you're just doing this with your mouth. And she's like opening and closing it. Like, I don't know how to describe it. It's just Slapping like, her mouth. Yeah. And she says, I don't know what that is. And he says, your cheeks look like an old Western saddle. And Creed stands up and he says, no problem, I can handle it. You can all pile on after my smoke break. And he leaves. Okay. Andy then says, you know, when I was on Outward Bound, I was bullied by self-doubt. And Dwight says through his lip injury uh, from the slackline, nobody cares about your dumb wilderness stories. And then we cut to Creed in the stairwell and he's sobbing. <laughs> and it's, uh, it's not like... It's really strange. Like, it's a weird feeling because we know that Creed's a weird dude and he's probably done some real shady stuff. But here in this moment, his feelings are hurt and he's crying about it. And so we go back to the, the meeting from there. And Phyllis says, how can I be a bully? I'm a sweetie pie. And Angela says, you're a B word. There it is again. <laughs> <laughs> and Stanley's response is, oh, God. And he and Jim share a look and Stanley hands over an extra crossword puzzle. So Jim says to Pam, I'm not even the old Jim anymore. I'm the new Stanley. Again, sort of resenting the fact that he's still at Dunder Mifflin after all these years. Pam responds, well, if you become the new Creed, I'll divorce you. And it's just as Creed is returning to his seat. <laughs> and he just sort of whimpers and walks out again. And everybody just sort of sits there uncomfortably. And that, that's it. That's, like, yeah. I never felt, I, I never thought I'd feel that badly for Creed. I just thought he was funny. But I felt kind of really bad for him there. He's got a soft spot. <laughs> Skin not so thick. <laughs> All right. Do you have a discussion topic for us today? Yes. What does it mean that David Wallace had Andy going on a teen wilderness adventure? If anything, I mean, does it say anything about David's opinion of Andy or maybe even of lessons learned from Michael? Was a thought I had. Like, he, he hmm. apparently he was sending him on this to become more confident and decisive. Decisive. I think it has less to do with the fact that David Wallace sent Andy on a wilderness retreat than it does that David Wallace sent Andy on a wilderness retreat surrounded by children. <laughs> One that he sent his own son on. I think it's saying that it could come across that he's a bit emotionally 
immature or just like not equipped to handle this position as any other adult would. It seems like a you need to grow up move, but I don't know if that really was his intention. This is all we get to hear about that, I believe. But that was sort of my my take from that was like, ouch. I mean, the, the same camp as your, you know, preteen son. Mm-hmm. You know, what I thought of while you were just talking is that this isn't the first time David Wallace has sent people on a wilderness retreat. He did that with Toby back in season four. Yeah. But I, I, I couldn't remember for sure. So I checked. That was with other branch managers. And so it was like an adult thing. And so for David to do the same idea with Andy, but to make it for kids, it, it, I think it does say something about how David views Andy's emotional level. Yep. Or maturity level. Cool. So moving on to our next episode, Roy's Wedding. It aired September 27th, 2012. Directed by Matt Sohn and written by Allison Silverman. After attending Roy's wedding and seeing him surprise his wife by playing the piano and singing for her, Pam and Jim start to wonder, do they know everything about each other or do they still have any surprises in store? As they question back and forth and figure, yeah, we pretty much do know each other, constant calls on his cell phone make Pam wonder if she does know everything about Jim after all. Meanwhile, Dwight won't pick a proper charity for Nellie's special project, and Clark promises Aaron an opportunity to audition to be a news anchor. Oh, this episode colors my opinion of Clark permanently, but we're not there yet. We will get to that (laughs) in a minute. So, Jim and Pam. Yeah. Pam does not know about this business. It is confirmed in this episode that, yes, it was the sports marketing business that Jim was responding to at the end of last episode where where he like celebrated in in the office alone after making that phone call. Yes, he made himself what sounds like a partner or something in this business. And Pam does not know about it. Well, Jim says, "Well, just kidding. She knows about it, but she doesn't know that Jim's a part of it." And it's not that she just doesn't know, it's that they discussed it and they decided no. And then Jim decided, yes, it's not as if this was a surprise and, hey, I have a new job opportunity. No, this is we decided against it as a couple. And then you went and did the thing that we said not to do. So he's clearly feeling badly about that, but hasn't told her yet. And so he sort of spends the whole episode dodging that. uh, And Pam grows pretty suspicious. Yeah, I have some pretty extensive thoughts about the whole situation that I'll save probably for the discussion topic, I think. Mm. But this is a storyline. I'll go ahead and say now, this is a storyline that causes a lot of controversy, I feel like, between Office fans. Because Mm -hmm. some people look on it more favorably, or some of them look on it less favorably than others would probably be a more accurate way of putting it. Uh, But we'll we'll talk about that in due time. Uh, Jim does think it's super weird that they're going to Roy's wedding. He says, I think the only weird thing about going to your wife's ex-fiance's wedding on a weekday at 8 a.m. is that it's your wife's ex-fiance. And I mean, it's kind of not weird when you think about it. Jim has obviously been with Pam for a few years at this point. And it's because of Jim that Roy and Pam split and he found his current wife. So both sides are happy. Roy says as much when Jim talks with him in the episode. And so when Jim and Pam go to the wedding together, Pam is eating a banana. She says, you know, I I planned a a wedding with Roy previously. I'm expecting there's only going to be hot dogs here because that's what Roy wanted at our wedding was hot dogs. And so she's expecting certain things and they're surprised instead when they get there and it's a big house and they're serving mimosas and fancy 
uh, appetizers are being served and there's waiters. And I mean, it's, it's a big deal. They find out that Roy started a gravel company and it took off and uh, Kenny, his brother, so kindly tells Jim that he, that Roy drives a $50,000 sports car now. So he's doing really well, but Jim, he does share with Roy that he has something in the works. So he's even telling Pam's ex-fiance about this business sort of before he tells Pam. So no good for Jim. Oh, by the way, Roy, who is, as you said, very successful now is also super sweet and romantic and Mm -hmm. compliments his wife. Like he never complimented Pam, who he was also going to marry and learned how to play their song on piano for the wedding. And Billy Joel song, by the way, Billy Joel. Yes. (laughs) So he seems to be a changed guy which is great i mean he's doing very well it seems and it says something about finding the right person yeah yeah so he's he's doing all right just as a as a roy update but as they're driving away from the wedding pam gets this thought in her head she's like wow i i i thought i knew roy but i guess i didn't and uh do i know everything about you i mean we've been together for quite a while Surely there's got to be something that I don't know about you. And Jim assures her that, no, no, we don't know everything about each other. Tell me something about you that I don't know. And she starts to tell him a story that she thinks will surprise him, but he knows the story. She's already told it. And Pam asks him to tell her something that she doesn't know about him, and he can't do it. And he spends kind of the whole day trying to think of something. Uh, Not because there isn't anything that she doesn't know, uh, because there is, but he can't talk to her about that yet. So... They kind of get the office in on this. They're playing the newlyweds game, but they call it the oldieweds game because they've been married for a while. Asking trivia about the other person. And oh, in the middle of this fun game, Jim gets a call and ducks out and doesn't really say anything and leans back to have her not look at the caller ID. And it's just doesn't look great. And Pam definitely notices something. Mm -hmm. And she has a talking head where she says, you know, maybe there is something I don't know about Jim. Towards the end of the episode, she gives him an out. She tries really hard to give him an out. She makes up a story, uh, and he is able to tell that didn't happen. You would have told me automatically if something like that had happened. She says, you know, you're right. I would have. And so is there anything you haven't told me? Something between the beginning of your life and the last two days. Is there anything that you have not told me? Just tell me. Like She makes it very, very clear. Uh, to us at least, that she knows something that he's not telling her and Jim just either doesn't pick up on it or he, he's not ready to address that yet. And so he offers nothing. And I mean, it, it, it sucks. You, you want them to communicate with each other. But again, I, I have more thoughts on that later. Moving on to Aaron and uh, Clark. So Aaron, when, when Clark and Pete walk in for the day, Aaron exchanges friendly words with Pete and Clark seems to get mildly jealous because i'm here too and they they apparently share the same job they are customer service customer relations so clark picks a phone call with a friend who's supposedly looking for a news anchor and clark loudly asks very theatrically where am i supposed to find someone who's pretty smart and well-informed and he turns to aaron and says aaron do you know anyone who might oh and he has this fake thought in his head oh she would be perfect so Clark asks Aaron to audition for this newscaster position that, for whatever reason, he would be filming the audition himself in his house late at night. And so he says, try out a few stories and a few different outfits, loosen up with some wine. And 
Sweet Aaron, of course, doesn't really know what Clark is getting at, but Pete, who overhears this, does, and his antenna is up because he does not want Aaron to be taken advantage of. And it sounds like she definitely will be if, uh, if Clark gets his way. And when Andy learns about this, he is fascinated and he pushes Aaron to do this. He's very excited for her. He even gives Clark his credit card to go get Aaron all of these sexy and super unnecessary clothes that Clark said that she would need for this audition. So Andy is not helping this at all. Andy then has people gather in the conference room, uh, appropriate use of work time to discuss Aaron's looks and her confidence prior to her, quote, audition. And he wants them to give compliments to her to make her feel better about herself. And Oscar, at this point, rightly points out, you know, like, if she's auditioning for a news job, shouldn't we be more concerned with her credibility, her reliability? Maybe has she taken journalism classes or has she had any other experience in this field? And Aaron, at this point, says, you know, I'll do whatever it takes to get the job. And that has Clark really excited and elbowing Pete. Yeah, ha, ha. whatever it takes. Pete is not a Clark fan. You'd think that these guys who were hired at the same time, who were working together in the annex together, uh, who are working in the annex together with Toby, uh, they'd get along and that they're really good friends. And they are not. Pete seems pretty uh, off put by Clark and not a big fan. And that leads to Pete convincing Andy to go with Aaron to the audition because he says, you know, in a real audition, what they're going to want to see is Aaron's rapport with the rest of the news team. So who has the best rapport with Aaron? Anybody? Well, it's Andy, obviously. And so Andy, Aaron, and Pete show up at Clark's at 11 that night to do this thing. And I mean, I can't help but think that, honestly, Pete probably saved Clark's job by getting Andy involved because who knows what would have happened otherwise. And I just don't think Aaron would have gotten along with anything that Clark wanted. Uh, and if he had done anything sleazy in order to get Aaron to do what he wanted her to do, then he, she would have told Andy and he wouldn't be working there anymore. So, I mean, I think Clark has Pete to thank, but whatever. Pete was definitely the good guy in this situation. And uh, Aaron and Andy are being filmed. And during filming, Clark, who has given up on the idea of trying to seduce Aaron, there are two guys here who are going to definitely prevent that from happening. Clark tries to wrap up the night. All right, that's plenty. Thank you. But Andy, the performer, as always, is not pleased with his performance and tries to make them do additional takes and stuff. But Clark's plan is ruined. Aaron tells Andy that she's hungry, she's done. But since Andy wants to do more takes for himself, Andy asks Pete if he would take Aaron out to get a burger. And Pete seems really happy to do so. So now it is just Clark and Andy filming this. Uh, fake newscaster audition exactly what he wanted yeah it's it's the same as a cute girl in your apartment (laughs) at midnight so yeah clark plan was definitely ruined yeah i I love the look in clark's eyes as andy's (laughs) suggesting to pete to go get aaron a burger or something and clark's just like oh i wish it was me (laughs) (laughs) the last sort of main storyline from this episode comes from nelly and dwight Nellie, as special projects manager, is finally introducing her first approved special project. Uh, She's apparently offered up plenty, but Andy has not approved any of them. But this one is about charity. So take that, Andy. Try and turn down charity. And so she has called it Operation Giveback. And they have $4,000 that they are going to be giving out to different charities that are chosen by the employee. So that's pretty cool. 
Stanley picks the American Diabetes Association, and Angelo calls him out for being selfish since he has diabetes. Uh, Kevin picks Heifer's International. Uh, it is, I looked it up, it is just called Heifer International. It's real, and it's not a prank organization. It's an organization that gives out animals as a way to provide self-sufficiency to the poverty-stricken. Kevin thinks it's just funny that they give people goats, and he thinks it's a prank, but that's not exactly what they do. Uh, Creed says he wants to help Jimmy Carter build gnomes. <laughs> I don't think that's what Jimmy Carter does either. And then Andy <laughs> picks a foundation that teaches homeless children nautical flag signaling because it changes lives. And Nellie says, thank you, Andy. She's still trying to stay on Andy's good side, but Andy says, I'm not doing it for you. I'm doing it for the preservation of nautical flag signaling. But then it's Dwight who gets in the way, not Andy. Dwight, who gets in the way of Nellie, and it's not necessarily to antagonize Nellie as Andy would normally do. It's because he says that charity hasn't been proven to work. And so he eventually relents and picks one, but he picks the Global Relief Foundation, which was proven as a front for the Taliban back in 2001. So there's the conflict between Nellie and Dwight now. So in order to uh, thwart Dwight's plan here to donate money to this bad organization, Nellie comes up to Dwight with a contract. Okay, well, if you pledge your allegiance to the Taliban law abroad, then surely you must live by their same rules here, right? For consistency. And Dwight happily signs this contract, stating that he will abide by Taliban law in the office. Bold move from Nellie, but she has a plan. She takes his pen and says, look, I I stole your pen. Dwight, come take it back. Now, hey, because I stole your pen... Taliban law states that you must chop off my hand. And if you are serious about this contract and about pledging money to this charity, you must chop off my hand. So Dwight says he is good to go on this. Absolutely. Let me sharpen up this meat cleaver that you have provided (laughs) for the event. And uh, you go do some handy activities and we will meet back and do the thing. So he gets out a chopping block and prepares Nellie's hand and takes his time, swings the the cleaver a bit, but he can't seem to get himself to do it. She grabs a soda. (laughs) He's taking a while. And when it starts to get late, we see that Daryl brings in a laptop to show Dwight a little bit of inspiration to get the job done sooner. He brings in the film 127 Hours, which of course is the film about the guy that chops off his leg. It's his arm. Arm. Mm -hmm. His arm. That's what it was. His arm. After it gets crushed by a by a boulder. So next we see Dwight and Nellie are sitting in the break room watching the movie, Cleaver in hand, but forgotten about. They're arguing still, but the violence has mostly been forgotten. And I, I assume at this point that Nellie does not get her hand cut off. <laughs> <laughs> I love that scene. It's like they're friends, like just buddies watching a, a, a movie together and they're making fun of each other and calling each other stupid. And that's how the episode ends. <laughs> they're just going back and forth calling each other stupid. <laughs> That's great. One's very small character development I wanted to mention. We hear that Daryl has been made conciliary or assistant regional manager to Andy. Mm-hmm. So now Daryl dresses very nicely in the office. <laughs> yeah, that and also his date to Roy's wedding. He was there too, along with Phyllis and Bob Vance, Vance Refrigeration, uh, was Val. Yeah. So apparently following the events of Free Family Portrait Studio at the end of season eight, we can assume that they are dating. Yep. Good. Good for them. Moving on to funny moments. Uh, our cold open for this episode, the building's custodian, I love this cold open, is on <laughs> vacation for the month. 
And the building is getting very, very gross, but Dwight is too cheap, apparently, to hire a replacement for the month. So Pam, as office administrator, is on it for Dunder Mifflin. She's created a chore wheel, but it's not nearly as much fun as it sounds or looks. It doesn't spin. You just kind of move the wheel one notch every day and you see what chore you have to do that day. And everyone's pretty bummed that it doesn't spin. So Pam creates a new chore wheel that does spin and it looks so much more exciting but it's still just chores. So she goes through several rounds of development, she says, and now there's a super bright, super fun wheel that spins and has prizes. She says 10 bucks, candy bar, manager for an hour, but there are also penalties like no internet, Stanley gets your lunch. <laughs> but one more thing that is not on the chore wheel is actual chores. Uh, she says, but they're right, this is more fun. But there's also a tiny wheel. So on the big wheel, you can spin it and it can land on tiny wheel. And then you get to spin this itty bitty tiny wheel. It's very cute. That does actually have chores on it. And she says, but it's so cute. Nobody seems to mind. (laughs) And uh, we pan away from the frivolity of the wheel spinning to see just rats digging through the employee's garbage. (laughs) It's disgusting. It's awful. It looks like. Uh, a college dorm room, to be honest. <laughs> Plus rats. I, yeah, I, I know mine got that, that close at some points. <laughs> when Nellie goes up to Dwight and proposes that he abide by Taliban law if he's going to name up the Taliban organization, then so she's typed up this contract for him to sign. It's in this strange font. It's not Comic Sans or anything like that, but it's also not anything like Times New Roman or Ariel or something that you would expect. Dwight says, I feared Nellie had some sort of a plan, but she used a ridiculous font. You don't have a plan. And then Nellie has her own talking head. She says, when you use a ridiculous font, no one thinks you have a plan. <laughs> so she's, <laughs> she's planned for this. You know, when reading Nellie quotes, half the time I try and go for the British accent and half the time I don't. And I've noticed that. <laughs> like the other half of the time, I guess. There's three halves of this situation. This I half. start it and then I give it up. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you, you know about two syllables in whether or not the English accent that you have put on is going to be any good. Yeah. And once you've started a bad one, you can't get out of it. Yeah. <laughs> and hers is like a really exaggerated one, too. So it's like, if you go for it, you better, you better, you go better for commit. It. <laughs> I've always said I love Aaron and I just, I just love Aaron. There's this, this bit here with Aaron and Pete as Pete and Clark are entering the office. She says, oh, Pete, you have mail. And Pete says, oh, great, another person yelling at me. And Aaron says, well, it could be a nice letter. I write nice letters to companies all the time. Pete says, that's really nice. (laughs) And uh, he notices that the letter is open. And Aaron says, oh, yeah, I accidentally read it. It is not a nice letter. (laughs) (laughs) She gave him hope, though, for a second. (laughs) She's nice. She has a talking head later. She says, I never really thought much about being more than a receptionist. But why? Because I happened to answer a help wanted ad to be a receptionist. I mean, what if the ad had been for a CEO or for a brain surgeon? <laughs> if you've been answering ads for those positions, Aaron, I would have hoped you would have been qualified for them <laughs> or that they would have picked the person who was. I've never seen an ad for a brain surgeon. <laughs> and I never want to. Aaron created her own news story for this audition that I love. She says Afghan President Hamid Karzai declared a new policy of dollar days throughout the country, promising low, low prices on all 2012 Kia Sentras and Sonatas. Aren't you glad you waited? Karzai commented. (laughs) (laughs) And Daryl says, where'd you get that story? And Aaron says, a little bit here, a little bit there. I bet 
you didn't think I knew current events. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh Uh, Daryl, when he tells us that he's been made uh, Andy's assistant regional manager, he says, Andy made me his conciliary, which means assistant regional manager. I guess he thought I'd be into the Godfather because I'm black. Wrong. I'm into the Godfather because I'm a cinephile. I like Scarface because I'm black. (laughs) (laughs) My last Aaron one, I promise. Aaron and Andy and Daryl are going through Aaron's sign-off or tag for this news audition. Andy said, you've you've done great. It's fantastic. Tag it with your name. Aaron says, for Channel 11 News, I'm Aaron Hannon. Andy says, okay, now pause after news. So Aaron does a good one. She says, for Channel 11 News, I'm Aaron Hannon. Andy says, no, 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 pause longer. It, it builds suspense. Don't be shy. For Channel 11 News, I'm Aaron Hannon. <laughs> <laughs> and it was probably longer than that, too. It was yeah. like a good 10 seconds. It was, <laughs> and they kind of lean in like, oh, oh are, are you going <laughs> to? Right. <laughs> <laughs> She's not shy. <laughs> when Nellie and Dwight are in the break room, preparing to get Nellie's hand cut off, Daryl walks in and he sees what they're doing and Dwight is holding a cleaver and he just like wordlessly turns around and walks out again. He's like, I'm, I'm not dealing with this right now. Uh, you, you guys do your thing. I'll, I'll peace out. Yeah. When Angela was bragging that the senator and she still have mystery, they don't know everything about each other. She says, I'm always waiting to see what he's going to surprise me with next. And Oscar is sitting there drinking his coffee and just chokes on it and spends several seconds coughing. And it probably wouldn't be suspicious. Mm-hmm. Angela kind of looks at him like, Why are you, what are you doing? Uh, but the audience, we I know. don't know why that, that moment makes me laugh so hard. Yeah, it's... Oof. Meredith, when they're in the conference room meeting complimenting Aaron, Andy says, newsflash everyone, the human race finds attractive people more trustworthy. And Oscar says, I'm so sorry, Andy, but for 20 years, the most trusted man in America, Walter Cronkite. Meredith says, Cronkite was hot. If I could go back in time, I'd take that mustache ride. You do you, Meredith. You do you. No, don't know so many people who are attracted to Walter Cronkite. When playing the oldie weds game, Pam describes her first celebrity crush. Pam and Jim both correctly said John Stamos. Pam says, well, yes, but John Stamos was temporary. I cook... I quickly moved on to, and then she and Toby, who's observing, at the same time say Johnny Depp. And everyone looks over at Toby for a while, <laughs> confused as to why he knows this. And Toby, after a very awkward pause, says, oh, I was having a separate conversation with Kevin. J- Johnny Depp. And Kevin, bless him, catches <laughs> on. He says, totally, George Clooney. <laughs> <laughs> Of course, Toby, having had uh, been in love with Pam for, for quite a while. Yeah, he knew the John Stamos answer, too. He sort of, like, whispers it to the camera. It's really awkward. Yeah, yeah. Like, it, It's almost, a, I'd say it's about on par for the moment when he puts his hand on Pam's knee. Yeah, pretty close. Uh, which, by the way, uh, I, we've talked about how there's an active The Office official YouTube channel, and they post clips and stuff all the time. They posted one last week that was, I don't remember what it was called, but it was all clips of toby being awkward around pam like it was like their forbidden love story or something like that i didn't see that one yeah it's pretty funny it's like 10 minutes of just toby clips being awkward around pam my last one 
when Dwight pretends to pick an organization for Operation Give Back, he says the Global Relief Foundation, which was recently revealed as a front for the Taliban. And Creed makes a face and he has a talking head afterwards. He says the Taliban is the worst great heroine, though. <laughs> <laughs> and then we should move on because we have a million deleted scenes for this a, episode. A billion, Jillian. One billion deleted scenes. So Daryl and Roy bond over the coconut shrimp being served at the wedding. Again, confused about the menu here. It's an 8 a.m. wedding, but that's yeah. fine. Uh, coconut shrimp apparently means that Roy has made it. He is rich. So congratulations, Roy. <laughs> and then, again, more, more language here. Daryl has a talking head at the wedding. He says, I used to work with Roy in the warehouse. Roy used to be engaged to Pam until she tossed him aside like a cold-hearted be is what i used to think now that i work upstairs with pam i understand that a the heart wants what it wants and b roy thinks dinner magically appears on the table so (laughs) he can i guess empathize with with both people uh pam is talking with who we can assume are roy's parents and they talk with Pam about how much they just they love Lara, Roy's wife. They they couldn't imagine a better daughter-in-law. And uh, Roy's never been happier. She says Lara's really easy to get along with, and and she's loyal, which is what we think Roy really needs. And Pam's just like, uh huh, yeah, yeah. Good, good good for him. And then she leaves Glad because obviously they're being really accusatory. She handles it well, I have yeah, to say. She's yeah. like, I'm, I'm really glad he's happy. It's nice to see him happy, but you can only take so much. <laughs> right. Oof. There's an alternate scene of Nellie explaining Operation Giveback. Angela says that Stanley shouldn't get to pick a selfish charity, as she says in the main episode. And then she says, like, does Oscar get to fund some gay Mexican thing? <laughs> and then we learn in an Oscar talking head that that's exactly what he was planning on doing by <laughs> donating to La Feliz Maracas which he says does great things for the homosexual Mexican community. And then there is a Toby talking head. He wants to donate to a charity that specializes in the less conspicuous animals. He says that the panda bears and the polar bears get enough good press. What about the moths? (laughs) He says someday the moths are going to surprise us all. (laughs) He says it through like some like underdog smile. (laughs) Yeah, he, he calls them the more inconspicuous creatures. Yeah. Aaron tells Andy that she gets the sense that this audition for Clark is just a responsibility to his news producer friend. And then Clark has a talking head where he tells us exactly what some of uh, the things his news producer friend Duncan has shot. That includes local news, yeah, touring company of Wicked, lingerie football league, the Guinness Book of World Records for best orgasm. And we cut back to Aaron and Andy, and he says, you know, I'm shocked. Because this is a huge opportunity. Just think of the doors this could open. We'd be a power couple. I mean, do you want to sit behind a desk your whole life? And Aaron says, as a receptionist or as a news anchor? And he says, fair point. You sit behind a desk in both careers. But one of those is a much more exciting desk. And then Andy has a talking head. He says, there's nothing hotter than dating a news anchor. Just ask Anderson Cooper's girlfriend. Famously gay. <laughs> yeah. Well, he had just come out the year before, to be fair. Oh, but Andy okay, w- fair. just wasn't in the know, apparently. <laughs> and then there's an Aaron talking head. She says, maybe there are bigger things out there for me than receptionist. And I owe it all to Clark, who I thought at first was a little sleazy, but now I realize it's just one of those people who stares at your chest to know what's in your heart. His words, not mine. Yeah. I don't think that's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> 
Nellie approaches Dwight at his desk. And she said, what was it you wanted to support again? Was it putting an antique steam engine back on the tracks? He says, nice try. It was the Taliban. Nellie says, are you entirely clear on what you're supporting? Uh, And he says, are you entirely clear on what you're undermining? Freedom. So she starts sharing bits of the Taliban Sharia law with him. Drinkers are whipped. Thieves have a hand cut off. The punishment for losing your faith is death. To which Dwight says, if they leave your family alive, it's not a real punishment. So then Nellie starts making things up to try and maybe get him to turn. The way they treat women is bizarre. They get free new motorcycles every two years and free service too. And then they're first in line for the space program. And Dwight starts getting upset at this stuff with the women. He says, that's not fair. Women can't be going into... And she says, welcome to the Taliban. And then Dwight realizes she was just trying to get him mad at the Taliban, but he says it won't work. There's some alternate conference room meeting scenes regarding Aaron's body. Andy says, I want you all to say something complimentary about Aaron's body. I will go first. Daryl? Andy (laughs) asks, who likes Aaron's hips? And only Clark raises his hand. (laughs) There's a bit where Oscar asks why they aren't questioning Aaron's credibility or reliability. Phyllis tells him that those don't exist anymore, not since Mary Hart left entertainment tonight. And the last change to this bit was uh, Phyllis asks Aaron if she even wants to audition. And Angela says that of course she wants to do it. She answers phones for a living. Mm. Uh, Oscar tells Angela that that's not fair. Some people don't aspire to anything higher and that that's okay for them. And Aaron assures them. I, I like this. She points to herself. She says, hi, I'm up here. Mm-hmm. And uh, yes, I do want to do it. Thank you for asking. Right. I'm glad <laughs> and, she's offended by that because she should yeah, have been. <laughs> she should be. She says, yes, you know, stop. I do want to do this. Yeah, she says, I do want the job. You people have probably been offered news anchor jobs every week of your lives, but this is a first for me. <laughs> yeah. She has a talking head where she's practicing. She says, finally, tonight. She says it three times before she gets it right for herself and moves on. Finally, tonight. Something happened to someone at a location. People were there. <laughs> <laughs> the basic uh, formula for a news story. <laughs> yeah, she, she's got the, the formula down. <laughs> Clark makes fun of Aaron to Pete. Uh, hate this because he spent the entire episode trying to get in her pants and then just behind her back makes fun of her. He says, so she's coming over at 11 because I told her it was for the 11 o'clock news. Do you think I can get her in the shower for reporting in the rain? And Pete rightfully kind of stands up for her and says, I don't know. I feel like you would say you're kidding when you're not kidding. And, and Clark agrees with him. He says, yeah, I don't know myself. So Clark, not a great guy, but we knew that already. <laughs> Aaron tells Andy and Daryl that she's really bad at public speaking. But Andy says, you know, don't think of it as public speaking. Think about it as uh, music. You know, you're just singing it. And he's sort of, like like the sing-songy newscaster kind of voice he he just mumbles it and she says okay let me try and so she does it and so they're just making mumble sounds at each other and daryl's just like wide-eyed like what's going on like (laughs) how did i get wrapped up in this kind of situation (laughs) and then andy says wow thank you for that news that was some very important information you just told me and she goes you're welcome (laughs) and yeah as Aaron is heading downstairs, she's waiting for the elevator, and Pete privately tells Aaron that this newscaster audition is a bad idea. 
And, well, he says, this is a bad idea. And Aaron misunderstands. She says, oh, I usually take the stairs. I just thought I would give myself a treat. <laughs> he says, no, no, no. I'm talking about the, the audition. He tells her he's, he doesn't want to, I guess, talk badly about Clark or something. So he tells her that the chances of this are not good. Of this working out, the chances are slim to none or none to none. But Aaron is offended because I guess she takes it as, you know, you're not good enough to do this. And, uh, and decides to take the stairs and, and get away from Pete. Yeah, I appreciated him trying to step in, but I don't think he had the right approach or the right, right. phrasing. Right. Uh, even it, I think there would have been better ways to phrase it that didn't maybe throw Clark under the bus, but also didn't sort of insinuate that Aaron wasn't talented enough to do it. Yeah. Last deleted scene, Jim comes across Pam in the kitchen, and she seems kind of down. So he says, hey, are you okay? She says, it's fine. It's nothing. It's just allergies. And so Jim has his turn. In a talking head, he says, Pam has allergies. That's something I did not know about her. And then they are in the car ride home together. And Jim says, for the record, I like knowing everything about you. It's nice. She says, totally agree. We know each other inside and out. No surprises. And so they're silent for a moment. And then Jim's phone starts vibrating again. And he silences it without answering it. She doesn't say anything, but you can tell that they're both bothered by the secrecy happening. Oh, that was, that was a good scene. Yeah, that would have been a good one to leave in just because there was a reciprocating. That was something I didn't know about Pam and like Jim sort of start to look at himself like, am I doing something yeah. that's causing her to hide something from me too? Right. But. So my discussion topic, even though she kind of does ask directly, why doesn't Pam just say, look, I feel like you're hiding something. Tell me. Okay, so here, here I'm, I've got a, a paragraph of things to say <laughs> that I, I, I'm basically just going to read through. Uh, so I, I see both sides here. Uh, Jim loves his wife. He loves his kids. But we have known, as I said earlier, we've known since the pilot that Jim has wanted more than this Dunder Mifflin life. Uh, so yes, maybe him and Pam decided they weren't going to pursue this, but for this business to be his idea in the first place and for this to be his only chance to get in from the beginning on something like this, I understand him deciding to go for it anyways. Obviously, obviously, he should have spoken to Pam about it again before making the call, but he didn't. So his next option should have been to tell her ASAP as possible. <laughs> uh, and I mean, if he likes what he has, he's got a good thing going, then this shouldn't be kept secret lest it potentially ruin their marriage and tear apart the family. But I do understand her, his avoidance in telling her too. It, it's, it's a complicated situation. He's definitely in the wrong, but I get it. And then for Pam, uh, just to specifically address her question, I think it's fear. I mean, what's the age-old secret that one spouse keeps from another? Infidelity. Mm. And fearing the worst is not a bad thing in the situation. I'm not necessarily saying that's what Pam assumes what is happening, but I think that fear might be there. Fearing the truth in general. And if, if she was to assume the worst or assume something and then confront Jim about it and she's wrong, who's sort of the bad person in the situation? So, I mean, it's just a, a complicated back and forth between both of them. Pam hasn't done anything wrong. Jim definitely has. But I don't think he's a bad guy or a jerk bag for doing it. He's just human. And so I, I like this storyline and I, I won't try to address it this big of terms until it sort of wraps up and resolves itself. Right. But 
what I like about this storyline is it's finally making Jim and Pam like a realistic couple. Not saying that there are couples who don't go through life without having any major conflict and have issues with each other. But up so far through this whole show, Jim and Pam, since they got together at the end of season three, have been perfect for all intents and purposes. And so I like having a, a, a struggle for them to potentially overcome in their marriage. I think that adds to them as characters. I agree. I think it's something that is a very real problem. It's something that you would encounter in your real life. And it's not infidelity, uh, which is such an easy stick to throw. It's like, oh, we need to give them a kink in their relationship. Mm-hmm. He cheats on her. You know, like it's, it's not the easy fight, which I like. It's something that I'm sure has happened and, and could happen for a lot of people, for a lot of couples. To answer my own question, why doesn't Pam ask Jim directly? I think she kind of wants to see if he'll volunteer the information in a way. Like, how long is he going to go without telling me this? Not that she's testing him because that's not fair, but I think it's just like, I'm giving you the choice. I'm giving you the opportunity to tell me and you're not taking it. Mm-hmm. Interesting. You know, just I feel like you should. And so she's she's giving him the benefit of of the doubt and maybe there is nothing you know as you said maybe he's not hiding anything and she's just reading into it and it just all looks bad but nothing is bad uh of course that's not the case he is hiding something but Mm -hmm. it could be nothing in which case yeah she would look a little bit paranoid but i i think i do like the storyline as well because of its real nature Mm -hmm. and in a lot of comedies you don't get I mean, you'll get a stick thrown like this, but this this is different somehow to me. As I said, it's it's a bit more authentic, in, in my opinion. Okay. Well, that's the end of the official 95th episode of An American <laughs> Workplace. <laughs> On that happy uh, note. <laughs> yeah. Contact for the show, facebook.com slash workplacepod and at workplacepod on Twitter. Please go over to Apple Podcasts. Keep us in the top of the search results. Rate, review, subscribe. It's a huge help to us for not a lot of effort. If you have any feedback or ideas, you can email us, workplacepod at gmail.com. And if you'd like to leave us a voicemail, please feel free to do so. The number is 93-PRETS-DAY. That is 937-738-9329. Please keep it under a minute long. Be specific. Ask us things, tell us things, share with us things. We'd love to hear from you in general. And make sure you include your name so we can thank you by name when we include you on the show. And that's that. You can find me on Twitter at ktlady623. I'm also at facebook.com slash katie.white. And the best place to find me is also on Twitter, chadadada, that is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. There's also facebook.com slash chad.hopkins and my other podcast, Cinescope, which you can find where podcasts can be found or at thecinescopepodcast.com. If you want a shout out and more of an American Workplace each week, including access to our discussion outline and notes, a logo sticker, bonus episodes, and live streams, check out our Patreon page and pick the support level that you think is worth it to you at patreon.com slash workplacepod. And that is all for this week. Thank you for joining us to watch one of our favorite shows at The Office here on episode 95 of An American Workplace. Make sure to join us in episode 96 for our discussion on the next two episodes of season nine, Andy's Ancestry and Workbus. Bye. When Dwight reveals, or Dwight's, Dwight,